Hi everyone, Caitlin and I are continuing to take turns featuring the anti-racism educational resources we are engaging with each month. Because we believe education leads to open hearts and free voices that are empowered to speak up and fight for change. Our hope is that you will find these resources useful for your education and that they will also help you cross the threshold into doing active anti-racism work so that we can create an equitable world together. We love you all. Black Lives Matter. This month I read Austin Channing Brown's book, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. Austin Channing Brown is a media producer, New York Times and USA Today bestseller author, and speaker providing inspired leadership on racial justice in America. And here is the official description of I'm Still Here. Austin Channing Brown's first encounter with a racialized America came at age seven, when she discovered her parents named her Austin to deceive future employers into thinking she was a white man. Growing up in majority white schools and churches, Austin writes, I had to learn what it means to love blackness, a journey that led to a lifetime spent navigating America's racial divide as a writer, speaker, and expert, helping organizations practice genuine inclusion. In a time when nearly every institution, schools, churches, universities, businesses, claims to value diversity in its mission statement, Austin writes in breathtaking detail about her journey to self-worth and the pitfalls that kill our attempts at racial justice. Her stories bear witness to the complexity of America's social fabric, from Black Cleveland neighborhoods to private schools in the middle-class suburbs, from prison walls to the boardrooms at majority white organizations. I'm Still Here is an illuminating look at how white, middle-class evangelicalism has participated in an era of rising racial hostility, inviting the reader to confront apathy, recognize God's ongoing work in the world, and discover how Blackness, if we let it, can save us all. I highly recommend this book to all of you. You can find the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Full Heart Free Voice Podcast. I'm Emma Veritas. I'm a writer and writing coach for women who want to start writing. And I'm a teacher for women who want to find their true selves again. And I'm Caitlin Bosshart, a life coach for the multi-passionate at heart and wedding coach for couples planning non-traditional weddings. We read books that inspire you to live with a full heart and a free voice. Hey everyone, before we get started with today's episode, we have a fun announcement for you. So Caitlin and I have recently opened up our affiliate shop. Our affiliate shop is a library of resources by Clarissa Pincola Estes, and you can find it at wildauthenticity.com forward slash podcast shop. And when you go there, you'll find a list of links to Women Who Run With The Wolves, but also to all of Clarissa Pinkola Estes's audio classes that she's done through Sounds True. And when you buy these through these links, you support Clarissa Pinkola Estes, you support Sounds True, which is a very cool independent publisher, and you support our podcast because Sounds True has a very generous and amazing affiliate percentage that they give to us whenever you buy something. So it's this beautiful win-win-win, and it's also an opportunity for you to dive deeper into these educational resources. And so I just wanted to ask Caitlin today, Caitlin, what is one thing you have loved about listening to Clarissa Bingle Estes' audio classes? Well, I think it's, you know, when we are diving in so intimately with her work and in a way it's like, I don't know about you, but there's been times I'm like, oh, it's Clarissa Bingle Estes. Like there's a little bit of this, like, I don't know, she's like ethereal, I think in some ways in my mind and in this, but you know, there was something that was so nice is, um, you know, when I listen to her audios, I get to hear her voice and I get, there's like a, there's, I don't know, for me, there's like a sense of her heart and her intention that comes through in a way that, you know, now that I, 
now that I've listened to her voice and how she tells these stories, when I'm reading, I I hear her, I hear like her tone and how she kind of explains things. And it gives me a different level of understanding, I think, of, of the way that she is expressing her her ideas and her thoughts and her wisdom. And so that's been one of the coolest things that it's just like another level of kind of getting to know this author that we are engaging with so intimately and learning from. And one class I want to tell you about today is called Mother Night. In this class, Dr. Estes teaches us to retrieve our beautiful gifts abandoned in the unconscious through neglect, ignorance, and fear. You can gather with her at the fireside for nearly 10 hours of original teaching stories, poetry, commentary, and her special prayers of blessing over your creative soul. We invite you to go to wildauthenticity.com forward slash podcast shop and click on our special link to purchase this class. Thanks, everyone. In today's episode, Caitlin and I will be talking about what sacred sexuality and sacred sensuality mean to us. We want to acknowledge and appreciate that each person's experience and expression of sexuality is unique and beautifully diverse, and that our perspectives are just two very specific points of view. Specifically, we want to give respect to our asexual and aromantic listeners whose experiences are vastly underrepresented. We want you to know the focus of today's conversation will be on the idea Clarissa Pinkola Estes puts forth in Women Who Run With the Wolves that sacred sexuality is, at its heart, about the enlivening of the senses and not just about sex. We would absolutely love to hear from you and to know your thoughts on this chapter. You can do that by joining our Facebook group and sharing in our online community. If you'd like to learn more about asexuality, we've added a link to a beautifully written article in the show notes, where you can also find the link to our Facebook group. So hi, everyone. Welcome to our book club study of Women Who Run With the Wolves, where we are talking about chapter 11, Heat, Retrieving a Sacred Sexuality. This chapter focuses on the idea that sacred sexuality is the wild part of us that is fully engaged in our senses, fully alive and free. This chapter shows us how to take deep belly laughs and how to come back to ourselves through the sacred and the sacrilege in equal measure. This chapter is for those of us who want to learn more about sacred sexuality and how to connect to this part of our wild woman. It's for those of us who want to enliven our senses and learn to live in a way that is deeply connected to our feelings. And it's also for those of us who have been taking life a little too seriously and need to remember everything doesn't need to be so neat and tidy. In this chapter, Dr. Estes offers us the Greek myth of Demeter, telling a version of the story where we meet the belly goddess, Baobo. The story begins in the traditional way, when Persephone, the maiden of spring, is kidnapped by Hades and taken to the underworld. Persephone's mother, Demeter, looks for her, but Persephone cannot be found, and so Demeter, in her grief, makes the land and all the people barren. Spring can no longer come as Demeter wanders the world, looking and looking for Persephone. Dr. Estes tells us in the story that Demeter looks for Persephone for months and months, until one day she must take a break. Demeter goes to a village and sits by a well, crying. When along comes the belly goddess Baobo, Baobo wiggles up to Demeter, shaking her hips suggestively. Baobo had no head, her nipples were eyes, and her vulva was her mouth. She sits with Demeter by the well and begins to tell her stories and jokes of the most juicy and obscene kind. And Demeter begins to laugh and shake, and for the first time in a long time, she smiles. After sitting with Baobo, Demeter has the energy to get back to her search 
and through many other adventures, she is finally reunited with her daughter, and Spring returns to the land. Dr. Estes explains that this story shows the magic of sexual laughter, where in your deepest, darkest times, a good laugh over an obscene joke can be just the thing to ignite your energy again so you can keep going. Demeter was bereft, bereft of life, bereft of any good feeling. She had lost access to her life-giving, sensuous aspects even making the land and all the people in it barren. Baobo helps Demeter awaken her sacred sexuality so she can keep going. In the chapter, Dr. Estes teaches that sacred sexuality is a woman's heat that is not a state of sexual arousal, but a state of intense sensory awareness that includes but is not limited to her sexuality. And what can help bring us into this intense sensory awareness? A deep belly laugh over a dirty joke. So this is a short chapter where Dr. Estes offers two more stories, each designed to make you laugh and give you the experience of coming back to life through the essence of what she calls the dirty goddesses. She ends the chapter by saying, In the wild woman archetype, There is much room for the nature of the dirty goddesses. In the wild nature, the sacred and the irreverent, the sacred and the sexual, are not separate, but live together as, I suspect, a group of old, old women just waiting down the road for us to drop by. They're there in your psyche, waiting for you to show up, trying out their stories on one another, and laughing like dogs. With this chapter, we are given two very deep topics. One is about the idea of sensuality and what that is and what it means and how it relates to sacred sexuality. And the other is learning how to let go and receive the medicine of a deep laugh. So in our conversation today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to focus on what sensuality means to us. And then later in our conversation, we'll talk about the things that really make us laugh, deep belly laughs. Okay. So hi, Caitlin. Hi, Emma. How are you? I'm doing okay. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I know. Caitlin's going through a hard time. Do you want to tell folks about what happened this week? Yeah. So sometimes it just helps to kind of name what's present. And Mm -hmm. I think part of, you know, the mission of this podcast and my own journey of trying to live with a full heart and a free voice is definitely sharing really like what's happening for me and not feeling like I need to cover it up or, you know, basically taking up space in that way. And so, um, a couple days ago we had to let go of our sweet, um, puppy Mm -hmm. Um, and it was really unexpected and traumatic in a lot of ways. Um, but it was also really amazing and beautiful, you know, experience in so many, so many other ways. And so that is, my heart is definitely full of love and grief, um, for this, you know, amazing soul that we had the the true honor and privilege of having in our lives for the last eight years. So, so that's, what's happening <laughs> for <Yeah>. me. <laughs> and we decided like, we were talking about, should we, re- re- should we record today or not? And we decided yes, because you wanted to share that and just show up as yourself exactly as you are. But also this is what we're talking about. Like Demeter in that story she's bereft and she's grieving and it's talking about like what it means to still connect to your senses and what it means to still connect to that wild sense. Um, So I'm curious, just knowing like what you're going through this week, I'm curious what your perspective is now on this idea of sensuality and your senses and all of that. Yeah. I, I had read this chapter um, before we knew that 
knew what was happening for him and that our time was short. And there were so many moments over the last couple days of his life that I just thought about this chapter and about this idea of sensuality and how, to me, sensuality is that full body presence in every way. And anyone who's, who's, has anticipated the loss of someone that they love or a soul that they love, there is something about those moments that allow you, it's a gift of, of, of being able to be fully present. Nothing else matters in the world, but being so fully in that moment and just savoring every, every sensation, every, you know, just, you know, laying, face-to-face for two and a half days with a dog is something I've never done before. Mm-hmm. Um, and just taking in every every marking, every little hair, every little expression, um, just trying to feel the grief and the love and the joy just in my whole body, feeling, you know, the sensation of of his fur and in the way that his, his little sweet body feels and his hot breath on my face and, you know, the comforting hugs, you know, and, and, and just holding my husband, you know, through it all. And it's, it is a, you know, that to me is that feeling of sensuality of just being so present with everything that you have. Yeah, it's that that feeling of being totally aware, like you're talking about, like aware of the little things, but also like the touch, the scent, the taste, the feeling, like all the sort of undercurrent vibrations of what goes on. Like that's all your senses being totally present for a moment. And I like how she ties that into sacred sexuality that this idea that whether it's about like sex or not, it's just about that, that awareness of, of a touch of a scent of what's really happening in that part of you. That's like, that can be in that like state where things don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be tidy and neat and you know she talks in the beginning of the book so much about the sanitization of the wild woman and how life really actually is messy but when you can engage your senses in that that mess and even these really hard times it's like that's being alive that's that generative part of ourselves yeah I definitely agree with that Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So I'm curious, I know before we got on the call today, you were talking about how this chapter does really make sense because there have been so many times where you've not just been in the depths of sadness of what's happening, but also there have been those moments of laughter too. And kind of having that bow bow, I don't know, (laughs) dirty jokes, but you know, like that bow bow experience of Balbo coming to you by the well. Yeah. I mean, just thinking back, you know, to the last couple of days, I feel like we cried and laughed almost in equal measure at times. And just remembering, I mean, anyone who's, who's had a pet or had a close relationship with an animal, you just know that they're just so goofy and they just, I mean, the, the silly things, I mean, think about, you know, dirty things. It's like, this is a dog that has, has gotten sick and, and not intentionally, but has pooped in my boot twice, (laughs) (laughs) um, two separate occasions. Um, you know, it's like, there's, there's like, anytime you have an animal, it's just like, there's just messiness in it and it's not ever perfect. And, Oh, there's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like my, my brain is kind of swimming in in all of it, but yeah, we, there's just so much 
so much laughter that kept bringing us out. And I feel like when we would be in those moments of just like feeling gutted, like just sobbing, there would just be something that one of us would say or a memory that would pop to our mind like do you remember when (laughs) and it just like would break it that it would just bring that relief and just kind of feel excuse me it would just break that tension and make it feel like while in in so many ways it doesn't feel okay it is okay and there's this beautiful balance to life that we were able to just be so acutely aware of and so, you know, intimately feeling and processing and present with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that you said the word intimately because that rings true for me too. Like when you're really in it with your senses and you're really aware of like the feelings of everything happening around you. I think it's so intimate. Like it's so close and so connective. Like you could have even those intimate experiences. I'm just thinking about for me, it's always like when I'm out walking in nature and like even just with a wind blowing by you, you can have that intense like overwhelm of sound, of scent, of touch of feel of like the whole thing can be so intimate when you're really really connecting and becoming aware of what an experience feels like yeah and I think that I think that nature in any form is the best teacher of how or guide of Mm -hmm. how to be so so connected and so aware of, of those sensations. Like I just think about, you know, just even, even with the state that, that our sweet, our sweet LB was in at the end, we took him out and laid him in the sun and just, I could just tell he was just happy and his little nose was going, smelling, you know, the air and, he still had an amazing appetite. So just as soon as he would hear the treat bag and just the way his little (laughs) eyes would light up. And even though he couldn't move much, it was like, he like, I mean, he just absorbed it all. Every little flavor, every, every smell, every sound, he was just, he was still really, very much present, even though his body was failing him. And so nature is amazing, you know, how it, it teaches us to be really in that, really in the moment. So I, I want to thank you so much for just allowing me the time and space to just express and share a little bit about what I've been going through. And I really also want to hear from you, what, what does sensuality mean and feel like for you? I think for me, like I think before we recorded this chapter, I talked to you a lot about how I was nervous for this chapter because I like grew up in New England, very Puritan society. <laughs> like the idea of just talking about sexuality on a podcast is not my zone of genius at all. Um, so for me, it was like such a relief, like, oh, she's talking about the senses. Okay. She's talking about sensuality. I can talk about that. Like, that's fine. (laughs) Um, I think what sensuality means to me, and if I do like take the challenge and try to relate it to like a sacred sexuality, to me, I guess I just keep getting an image of like a rose bush, like, or like a rose in general. I love roses. And I love them as symbols of sacred sexuality because like roses, there are so many kinds of rose plants. They have been cross pollinated or cross like bred and they're, they flourish. Like there's so much to a rose that's about flourishing and being like 
you know, attractive to the bees, attractive to like pollen collectors and nectar eaters and all of that. That's really fun. And so you do have like roses as a symbol, I think of like plant reproduction and plant sex and stuff like that. But I also think the rose bush really drives you into your senses. Like you want to just like stick your nose right in there and smell as deeply as you can. Like they're soft to the touch. I think their petals feel different than their leaves, which feels different than their thorns. Like for me, sensuality is like having a moment like that with a plant or with a flower and really letting yourself like connect and become intimate through those senses. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh. It totally makes sense. I've, well, I love, one of the reasons why I love to actually paint flowers is because they are so, they're mesmerizing and you just get sucked into this, this world. And I grow flowers and I could spend all day just gazing into a flower. And of course, I love that you brought up the bees because the bees, you know, it's like the pollination. It, it, it is like, it is sex. Like that is what mm-hmm. it is. And there's, I think what's so interesting and something that I've thought a lot about with this chapter is that in some ways, it just is this reminder of how narrow of a definition, like a working definition that I feel like, at least in the American culture that we have around sex and sexuality, because we automatically connect sex with like physical intimacy with another person. Um, Same with like, we automatically, you know, nudity in American culture is like tied to sex, where in other cultures, nudity it does not automatically mean anything to do with sex, you know? And so Mm -hmm. that's been that kind of reminder of like, this is actually this incredibly complex and multi-layered part of who we are that has kind of gotten like really boxed down into something that is, well, often made to be a bad thing, but it's actually mm-hmm. everywhere and part of pretty much everything. And part of like how we exist in the world. And that if we, if we cut off our, you know, connection to sensuality and sexuality, how much of life we're shutting off ourselves off from ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that connection to sensuality as life kind of idea of like you can feel really deadened and dull and gray in your life sometimes and like for me when I've been through those phases where I felt like my soul was dying I would also say my senses were really dulled you know something really interesting happened when I got sober which was like you know prior to getting sober I was drinking daily and feeling so dead inside and I got sober and the next spring, so it was probably about a year later. So I had been through a lot of recovery work and I'll never forget how bright the grass looked the next time it was spring after I got Mm. sober. Like I was really confused and I was confused. Like, was the grass always that color? (laughs) What's going on? (laughs) Like I had just never noticed or literally the that green color couldn't get into me because I was so deadened and my and as a part of that my senses were so dulled like I wasn't tasting I wasn't smelling I wasn't seeing even like the color of grass and so I remember just trying to like stare at that color as much as I could because I didn't know how long it was going to last you know like how how long was it going to last that I was going to see the grass like that and so I really do love this idea of like intimacy with something or with just being alive like an intimate connection to being an alive person is this senses. Yeah. 
exactly what you're saying about coming through something how when you're on the other side all of a sudden it's like yeah you're like oh my gosh I feel like I can see the world in a different way suddenly that you didn't even realize how how doled down you were because of of what you were going through mm-hmm. yeah Okay, so before we move on to the next part, because I really do want to hear all about what gives you that deep belly healing laugh, I do want to move into our little segment where we are sharing about what we each have going on in our businesses and in our lives and what we want to share with all of you outside of what we typically do just with the podcast. So Emma, I want to hear you know, what you have kind of in the works um, right now. Yeah, so I'm actually super excited because this episode will air at a perfect time. It airs on March 17th, and that is just the day when I have um, immediately after that, I'm doing one of my big seasonal oracle card readings because the spring equinox is on March 20th. And so from March 20th to March 28th, I will be having those um, readings available for purchase. So if you are listening to this episode a couple days after it airs, then you have plenty of time (laughs) to sign up for a spring equinox oracle card reading. And these readings are really fun. So for the seasonal readings, I always love to ask a specific question. And for the spring one, I'm asking what is the next right step for you? And the purpose of this reading is really to help you like set your intention for the spring season and give you the opportunity to just settle in and set your soul compass for the coming three months so that, you know, you can put your energy, time and attention into the work or creativity or craft that is really right for you. And By right for you, of course, what I mean is right for your soul self. It's like the thing your soul really wants to do next. So that's the question I'm asking. And with the reading, what I do is I pull an oracle card for you. I do a meditation and I listen in intuitively for the answer to your question. So I'll connect to your card. I'll connect to the message that's there and I'll ask like for an intuitive message to come to you that will help you see what's right for you. And then I deliver your Oracle card reading as a gorgeous PDF sent to your email. And with this reading, I'm including um, a workbook, a seasonal intention setting workbook so that you can take your message that you receive and really make a practical intention and plan for the coming season for your creativity. And of course, you know, I'm a blogging coach, so I work very specifically with bloggers. And so if you're someone who wants to start blogging or is blogging and you want to know, well, what's next for me for the next three months, then this Oracle card reading is perfect for you. And then it's absolutely open to other artists, creatives, business people, anyone who just wants to see you know, what should I do next with my creativity? So yeah, that's what I have going on. I love it. I just want to say I really love your Oracle card readings. I've been a very lucky um, recipient of your wisdom. And I still, I still think about the things that have come up um, even years later. So I just really, it's so powerful. There's just something about that the Oracle card readings that I've found that has just really helped me find a path forward and clarity. So I just love that you continue to do them. Thank you. You know what I love about them is everyone's a little different with how they feel about cards. And for me, I love like picking a card for people because it's just really always interesting to see what they get. But also I love using a card really just as a tool to help people connect to their own intuition. Mm -hmm. So like my goal with intuitive readings isn't to like lay down the law and say, hey, this is what you have to do. It's always about like having a framework. I always include questions in my reading and I want to ask like, does this resonate? What resonates? So my whole goal is to help my clients connect to their own intuition and to use my readings as a tool to do that. Yeah. I mean, I just have found things just resonating so strongly. And it is that it's that confirmation of what I already knew Mm -hmm. and to have it 
you know, come through in that way is just, it's awesome. Okay, Caitlin, what do you have going on March 17th ish time period? (laughs) So I will, I'll be honest, I am a little bit in a grief fog. So, but what has been sort of happening under the surface is I just feel really called to create some type of a group life coaching program for multi-passionate creatives. And so there has been a lot of things happening in the background and I've been dreaming up this program. And so I'm not exactly sure where it's going to be at March 17th, (laughs) but if it's something that you have an interest in or you want to explore, definitely reach out. Um, If you go to my website and you sign up for the Finally Start Your Passion Project um, workshop video and workbook, you'll also get on my email list. And so you'll definitely be the first to know when that is going to be available if that's something you want to do. Um, And I'm continuing to work with clients one-on-one for multi-passionate creatives who are really wanting to really better understand what I think is truly this amazing gift that they have to really see and navigate the world in really different and incredible ways and um, helping them to have a really customized one-on-one program to help them bring um, their ideas and their their gifts out into the world because we need we need what multi-passionate people have to offer this world. So I've been doing that and then continuing to do my multi-passionate PSAs. And so those have been really fun just to have these little, you know, short videos that talk about common misconceptions that multi-passionate people have about themselves, helping you to flip the script on that. So you can really own your, your nature, your natural tendency as a multi-passionate person. Um, And then, of course, continuing with wedding coaching, which is just so much fun and getting to support people through that process is just such an honor and a privilege. So that's what I have going on in my world right now. I love it. It's amazing. I love like I've been with Caitlin, we've been talking about our businesses for so long together. So it's just so fun to hear you talk about like I'm continuing. I'm continuing. I feel like that's so powerful just to know that, oh, like Caitlin's continuing. I can continue. <laughs> I can keep doing this. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Oh, it's amazing. And I can't wait to hear what your group program. That's the first time I've heard about it. So now I want to know everything you're thinking, but we can talk about that offline. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many. It's, it's actually going to be probably the hardest thing is going to be narrowing it down yeah. because there's just, I have so many ideas. Multi-passionate problems. <laughs> yeah. So hashtag <laughs> multi-passionate problems. So I just think part of the reason I feel really called to wanting to do a group program is that a lot of times people think that they're the only people who think the way that, that they do and kind of feel like the only people that sort of don't fit this mold. And when when multi-passionate people get to meet each other, like when I get to meet a new multi-passionate person, I am just one feel so validated in my personal experience, but it's like multi-passionate people are my favorite people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think a lot more people are multi-passionate than they realize. And so trying to help people, you know, just connect with that part of themselves. Yeah. So cool. So as always, you all, our listeners, can go to our show notes where you'll find all of mine and Caitlin's links. And we would love for you to hang out with us uh, with what we're doing in the world. I did want to just say really quick, I have some construction going on in my neighborhood, so I'm not exactly sure what might be getting picked up. So I just wanted to let everyone know that that's what you're hearing in the background. All right. So diving back into our conversation, what is it for you that gives you that deep belly, just amazing laugh? I love this question because (laughs) for me, I, okay. When I was a little girl, I feel like I never stopped 
laughing with that deep belly laugh of my abs hurting so much. And if you know me, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that things weren't always happy at my home. Like things were pretty rough at my home growing up. And I think something I learned um, from my family of origin was how to laugh through all the dark stuff. Like my family has such a dark sense of humor. It's like crazy. You know, it's like that kind of when you grow up in a a family where the things that are you're laughing at, you don't discover till you're older that they're actually really inappropriate and you just didn't know. <laughs> you just are like, I'm just telling you a funny story about my childhood. Isn't it hilarious that this <laughs> thing happened and, and you're just like at a party and it turns out, no, it's not funny. It's terrible. But anyway, when I was little, <laughs> I laughed all the time <laughs> because that's what we did. We laughed, you know, through all the hard stuff. And I mean, we couldn't free ourselves from it. We were just kids. So we just had to laugh through it. And so I think I learned like that really valuable lesson when I was little. So my sense of humor, I would say, is very, is a little on the dark side, is really dry. Like I love British comedy. Um, I love that kind of sarcastic humor. It really cracks me up. Um, But lately, I also really enjoy like Netflix stand-ups. So I watch a lot of British humor, British sitcoms, and I watch a lot of Netflix stand-up acts. And I really enjoy a good stand-up show. And lately I've been watching Ali Wong. I just watched her (laughs) the other day. She's the perfect Balbo goddess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like so dirty. Oh my gosh. Yes, I'm so glad that you brought her up because I was thinking about that too. Like she's literally the epitome of of the type of comedian that really embodies this dirty goddess energy <laughs> in the best way. She's just awesome. Yeah. I love how in the chapter Clarissa Pinkola Estes reframes the word obscene. So like in the first couple pages, she really reframes it and says that it's not something to reject. It's it's that Bobo thing. It's something really beautiful and funny and dirty and interesting. And so I really like that. And I also love uh, the comedian, I forget her full name, but Eliza, and she does Elder Millennial on Netflix. She has a Netflix stand-up show. And I watched that one night. It was like a silly choice on my part because I started watching it in bed when my husband was sleeping and I started cracking up so hard and I had to like hold it all in to not wake him up. So I was just like shaking. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably the last one I watched that gave me a real deep belly laugh. Oh, she has the whole dragon skit too. Oh my gosh. Pretending to be a dragon sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) It's yes. If, if, if you haven't listened or watched either of these these comedians, I really highly recommend it because it's it's kind of like she talks about in the chapter is there's these things that sort of only women understand because I've watched them with my husband and he's like laughing along to some parts. And then there's like other parts where I'm dying and I can just tell he just like doesn't like it just doesn't compute. <laughs> and so and it's also kind of funny because I think that the things that they're talking about, you know, like also like she says are the things that you would never really say in front of a man unless there's like a unique circumstance. Well, like what a unique circumstance they're up on this stage, mm-hmm. you know, talking about this thing, but it's just it's these things I think would normally just be behind closed doors that I love. I think it's so amazing that these women are really just like sharing these experiences and it's this truth that we get to also be like yes I'm not the only one who feels this way (laughs) oh yeah I love that women are like really on the stand-up comedy stage now like and I know it's been a struggle like they it's been hard like in every other area but um 
The other one I really loved I watched recently was Wanda Sykes. She has a Netflix show called Not Normal, and she does a whole bit on menopause that's amazing. That also needs to be watched. Okay, so that's what makes me laugh. I love a good, like, woman stand-up comic. And it does do that Balbo thing for me. It just, like, makes me feel a little more alive. Like, I can shake stuff off that's been tensing me up. And it's that definitely that release of tension. Totally. Yes. I also really love uh, Michelle Wolf mm-hmm. and Tiffany Haddish. <laughs> I've really enjoyed them, too. So just a few more ideas out there. And, you know, and I, I think that like what this chapter is also speaking to is that there is this sort of just innate part of us like this, this laughter is really this, this like innate way of healing ourselves and regaining that strength, like you're saying, like to go on. And, you know, anyone who has ever worked in social work probably is very familiar with all of the dark humor. And that was something that really helped me and my coworkers get through a lot of really hard times working at the domestic violence shelter. And I just don't know what I would have done without, mm-hmm. without having that. And I remember that being a time where I also stopped really watching really heavy television. And it was like, I just want all the comedies, all the light stuff. Because it does like that shaking, like there's, you know, like animals like shake to release energy. And I think that that (laughs) laughing can also help us to just clear things that we're holding on to. That's true. I hadn't thought of that connection of that, like the research around like an animal when they've like been hunted, but made it out safe. Like they'll spend first, they'll just shake, like their whole body will shake. And they really use that for trauma therapy now, right? Do you remember what that's called? Um, TRE? Oh, I found it. It's called Tension, Stress, and Trauma Release. So it's traumaprevention.com and it's TRE. And I hadn't really thought of that connection between laughter and that shaking thing that can happen. Mm -hmm. But it's so true. Like you just shake when you laugh and even like... You know, that's what Clarissa Pinkel-Estes says in the story that Demeter shakes. Yeah. And I think as, you know, as humans, it's a weird thing how we've been sort of like culturally, we don't let ourselves sort of like shake and move, move emotions out of our bodies physically very well. And so laughter is one of those things that, you know, I think the cool thing about that type of therapy, at least what my understanding of it is, is that if you can kind of create that shaking in your body um, sort of artificially or, so, you know, or create it, you know, by holding maybe a strenuous position, like a wall sit or something and just letting your body shake and that you don't have to know consciously what your body is working out. The body just kind of knows what it needs to clear. Nice. Yeah. It's kind of a cool thing. And so sometimes it's like, I don't know if you've ever had those moments where there's just those days where for some reason you are just any, like things will just like, just hit your funny bone. You know, it's just like, (laughs) I don't know why today everything is just so funny and I will just be dying laughing and crying and I just don't even know why. And I think sometimes like that, that part of the body, it's like, okay, something we got to (laughs) clear. We're going to just like, we're going to go about it this way. Yeah. Yeah, that's really true. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this chapter was really short. It was, we had Balbo, we had a couple dirty stories (laughs) to laugh at, which were kind of funny. And it was just this idea that sensuality encompasses sexuality, that like sacred sexuality is this huge part of just being alive. And I'm curious if you have a quote to share with us from this luscious little chapter. I do. So here's the quote that I want to share. It's actually just the very first part of this chapter. There is a being who lives in the wild underground of women's natures. This creature is our sensory nature 
And like any integral creature, it has its own natural and nurturative cycles. This being is inquiring, relational, bounding with energy sometimes, quiescent at other times. It is responsive to stimulus involving the senses, music, movement, food, drink, peace, quiet, beauty, darkness. It is the aspect of a woman that has heat. Not a heat as in, let's have sex, baby, baby, but like a fire underground that burns high and then low in cycles. From the energy released there, a woman acts as she sees fit. I love that. And so why did you pick that quote? What speaks to you about it? I think with that quote in particular, it it just immediately set the tone of feeling like, oh, this is something more. This is a really multidimensional aspect of who we are and just immediately opened my own mind to what sacred sexuality really is and all that it can be in in my life. So that's why I loved it right from that, right from out of the gate. She framed it in that way. Nice. And how about for you? What quote do you want to share with us today? Yeah. So I actually want to read the quote where she defines the word obscene just because I was mentioning that before and I think it would be great to read that here on their show. Um, She says, The very idea of sexuality as sacred and more specifically obscenity as an aspect of sacred sexuality is vital to the wildish nature. There were goddesses of obscenity in the ancient woman's culture, so-called for their innocent yet wily lewdness. However, language, in English at least, makes it very difficult to understand the obscene goddesses in any way other than vulgar. Here is what the word obscene and some other related words mean. From these meanings, I think you can see why this aspect of old goddess worship was pushed underground. I would like you to consider these three dictionary definitions and develop your own conclusions. The first word is dirt. Middle English, drit, probably from Icelandic, excrement. It has been extended to include filth, generally, soil, dust, etc., and obscenity of any kind, especially language. So the next definition is dirty word is described as an obscene word, also currently used for something that has become socially or politically unpopular or suspect, often through unmerited criticism and denigration or from being out of line with current trends. And the word obscene itself is from the Old Hebrew, meaning a wizard or sorceress. Mm. Yeah, this part is so interesting how she lays out those different definitions. So I'm wondering for you what stood out. So what I really like about this chapter and this quote in particular is that it really ties back to everything we learned in the introduction, where we learned about the sanitation or sanitization of the wild woman and the wild instinct and how... Like in that introduction, she talks about specifically how stories were changed and made to be like basically have that wise woman, witch person taken out of them. And so I think it's really interesting how she talks about like reading these definitions can help you understand like why the old or why aspects of old goddess worship was pushed underground and specifically this like sacred sexuality aspect of it. And, you know, because in like patriarchal culture, like one way to do that is to control women's sexuality, of course, you know, as we know. And so I think it's just really interesting way to reclaim this idea that the obscene, according to this definition is, like sorceress or wizard, it's that magic part of us. And so I just, I like that it's a callback to before and it's kind of another way to say practically like, yep, this stuff has been pushed underground and our work that we're doing here is reclaiming, like re 
storing the wild within ourselves. Yeah, I love that that tie back just the, from the very beginning. And that's what's been really neat as we've moved on and how these different chapters are really woven together and connect and circle back. And it's like my love of the non-linear, <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it's, it's a really, I love that anyway. Yeah. I like yeah. that too. I mean, we've come so far in the book. We only have a few more chapters left and it is really interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to doing like a big wrap up episode where we talk about the book as a whole, you know? Yeah, me too. Okay. So that's our episode. And thank you everyone so much for being here, for listening to us. We really love getting to talk to you all every couple weeks and to study this work and to just keep going, continuing with reclaiming our wild selves and our wild women. So we would love to hear from you. Um, One of the most amazing ways you could reach out to us is through your podcast review system. So if you're on iTunes or wherever you are, please do leave a review and just let us know what your aha moment was. Like what is one takeaway you would have from this episode? Let us know in the reviews. We absolutely read them. We love hearing from you and we hope you all have a great couple weeks. Bye. Bye. Thank you. In honor of my sweet LB, I wanted to share with you all a special moment that I captured this past spring during the COVID shutdown. Each evening at 8 p.m., my husband, Justin, LB and I would all go outside and join others in our community to howl in solidarity with one another, but especially in support of all the healthcare workers that were risking their lives for hours. At the time, I didn't know how much I would treasure that nightly ritual. I loved to howl with LB. When he was a little over a year old, I, I showed him how to howl. I can still remember the moment really clearly. I was sitting in our little apartment on Mountain Avenue, and I started to howl over and over. And finally, he joined in. And I can still remember the way his body transformed in that moment as if, you know, something else like this unseen force had inhabited his body, or maybe more accurately that something was woken up inside of him as he stretched his head back, pointed his nose towards the sky, the way he held his mouth and the stance that he had, the way he puffed his chest out, his front legs and body stiffening, just like his more wild cousins. And the sound that emanated from him was like nothing like I'd ever heard from him before. It felt so primal and deep and soulful and and ancient. And I remember the way that it just cut through my body. It gave me chills and brought tears to my eyes. And it still does. It was just such a beautiful thing to see the wild in him in those moments. LB, to my sweet boy. To our little beast, I miss you like hell. And yet I feel your presence in all the ways that you shaped me. Thank you for expanding my capacity for love. For giving us everything you had. For your devotion, your loyalty. Your presence in my life changed me. You are so loved. Like Andrea Gibson says in their poem... A letter to my dog exploring the human condition. You are my beating heart with fur and legs. You are forever my boy. What we wouldn't give to howl with you one last time.
This episode was produced by Emma Veritas and Caitlin Bosshart. You can find out more about me, Emma, at my website, wildauthenticity.com, where you can also download your free workbook, Three Habits to Calm Your Fear and Get You Writing. And you can find out more about me, Caitlin, at my website, caitlinbossart.com, and on Instagram at caitlin underscore bossart. The nicest thing you can do for us is to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. To stay connected with us, join the conversation in our Facebook group, follow along with us on Instagram, and sign up for our monthly newsletter. You'll find all the links in our show notes. A special thank you to the amazing artists whose music is featured in our podcast, Wally Ingram, Stevie Black, and Tom Freund. You heard portions of their tracks, Shine a Light, and Who Do You Love from their record Spa Day. And thanks to Caitlin Bossart for creating our beautiful cover art. And thank you to Kirit Bossu for all his audio and technical help. And a huge thank you to Emma Veritas for her editing magic. Last but not least... Thank you to you, our listeners.